Well, good morning, Orchard. And good morning to you watching online this beautiful Sunday morning from Pakistan, Afghanistan, and in that small South Pacific island nation of Vanuatu. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Well, last month at this time, in fact, it was this day we were just getting ready to return from Israel, a group of us from the orchard, and one of the places that we visited in Israel was Gideon's Spring. I love that place. It's an incredibly beautiful site with cool, refreshing water flowing from this picturesque grotto. The story of Gideon, I love it. It's an amazing story. Many of you know it, but uh, some of you Bible students may only know that Gideon was a farmer, not a warrior. He began as a farmer who never had any political ambitions. He didn't dream of becoming a political leader or a military leader, but, but, but God, but God, God had a better plan for his life. But before we get into our study of Gideon this morning, let's just quickly review the judges of Israel and the enemies that they faced. At the time of the judges in Israel, it was one of the lowest times in the entire history of Israel. In fact, the last verse of the book of Judges in the Old Testament really sums it up. The Bible says in Judges 21, 25, in those days Israel had no king. And each man did what he considered to be right. Everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. The book of Judges, in fact, records seven different cycles of sin in the life of the nation of Israel. They lasted about 300 years. These cycles begin with disobedience, and that resulted in bondage for the nation. That ended in misery. But eventually, one of the judges would rise up and call the people back to God, and that resulted in repentance, deliverance, rest, and revival. But then, just as things were starting to get oh so much better, the people once again drifted into compromise, began disobeying God, and the cycle would begin all over again. And it was during their years of peace and prosperity that the people would begin to wander from God when things were going well. And their moral decline was then followed by military oppression. That story of the Israel could, repeat, could be repeated for many nations throughout history, including the United States. So for 300 years, the people of Israel bounced back and forth, back and forth from being faithful and obedient to God to being disobedient to God. And each time, the nation would sink lower and lower and lower into depravity. This was when Gideon arrived on the scene. Now, Gideon, as you know, he was a judge raised up by God to save Israelite from the dreaded Midianites. 
and from the Amalekites. How do we know? The Bible tells us so in Judges 6, verse 3. Now, the Midianites, well, they were a nomadic people. They would wait until the people of Israel had finished planting and harvesting their crops, and then they would sweep down and steal their crops and their herds and destroy what they couldn't take with them. The Bible says this went on for seven years in Judges 6, 1. So the people cried out to God to deliver them, and God answered their prayers by calling Gideon to lead the people out of bondage and out of oppression. So that's background. Our study begins in Judges chapter 6 when an angel of the Lord appears to a very defeated and frightened man who was hiding in the bottom. Now that's a hole in the ground beneath a wine press. And this angel appears to him in chapter 6 verse 12 and says, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, Now here's Gideon. Here's Gideon in a hole in the ground, hiding underneath a wine press, knees knocking, shaking with fright, and the Lord comes and calls him a mighty man of valor? What's this all about? Because God does not see us as we are, but, but for what we can become. So in verse 13, The Bible says Gideon asked the Lord two questions. First, he says, if God has chosen me, if God is with me, then why are things falling apart all around me? Why am I still trapped in this mess? Well, the Bible says that the Lord told Gideon to get out of his hole, to get out from underneath the winepress, and to get going. And so Gideon stepped out in faith, The Bible says he began by offering a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, that's the way it always begins. The Bible says in verse 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And that's the way it always is. Throughout the Bible, God not only calls his people to service, but he empowers them for service. Whom he calls, he anoints. And whom he anoints, He uses, and it begins by giving thanks to the Lord even when we're not thankful. It begins by praising the Lord even when we don't feel like giving praise over and over again. So let's continue our study in chapter 7, verse 1 of Judges. The Bible says in Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, So Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, And his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, may leave this mountain and go home. So, the Bible says, 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now, the Bible says 
that 32,000 men were initially willing to go with Gideon against an army of 135,000 Midianites. Now, the Midianites weren't just any old army. They had state-of-the-art equipment. They were camel-riding marauders who controlled the desert regions from the Dead Sea all the way down to the southern tip of Israel and the Red Sea. They were a strong, feared, and formidable enemy. Gideon's army, on the other hand, was ill-equipped, and they were outnumbered four to one against them. Yet, what does God say? Well, the odds are too heavily stacked in your favor, Gideon. What? Gideon had to be thinking, what is this all about? You've got to be kidding me, God. Don't you realize how strong they are? We're outnumbered four to one. But, but, but God says, trust me. He knows that Gideon and his men will never understand. He is all they need until he's all that they have. So God told Gideon, send home those who are fearful. Now, <clears throat> you Bible students, <clears throat> excuse me, you know the Mosaic law allowed for certain military exceptions in those days. For example, those who had just built a home, they were excused from military service. Those who had just planted a vineyard, they were excused. Those who were engaged to be married, they were excused from serving in the military. So right about now, a whole lot of guys got engaged. <laughs> and, and also, those who are just afraid. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 20. So 22,000 of these men said, General Gideon, we're out of here. And they had every right to leave. And so they did. This now made the odds 14 to 1 in favor of the Midianites. Let's pick up the story. Chapter uh, 7 of Judges, verse 4. Verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. Verse 5, when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Verse 7, the Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. Wow. So now the odds go from 4 to 1 in favor of the Midianites to 14 to 1 in favor of the Midianites to 450 to 1 in favor of the Midianites. Just 300 men <clears throat> were chosen to go with Gideon against an army of 100 
and 35,000 well-trained, well-armed of the enemy. The odds were absolutely brutal. Oh, brutal. But, 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 but the strategy, the strategy was incredibly brilliant. Maybe you can identify this morning. Maybe you feel that the odds are absolutely brutal against you and the battle that you may be facing right now. But, but if that's you, then rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Because God is allowing you to be put in an impossible situation so he can, just sh- so he can show you just how strong, how brilliant, and how glorious his plan is for your life. So, why are these 300 men chosen? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are two possible explanations. First, either these were incredibly brave men with the right priorities, or, secondly, they were simply a bunch of broken-down old guys. Now, now, now let's examine the first possibility. They were brave men with the right priorities. If that's the case, if that's the case, then we know three things about these guys. First, they were free from fear. 22,000 men were sent home because they were afraid, but but, 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 but 10,000 weren't afraid. Why? Well, because they perhaps had an understanding of eternity. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but, but to die is gain. So these men served God without fear, very possibly. Second, they were men of humility. In the Israeli culture, boy, it's hard to understand this in, in today's society, especially here in the beautiful state of Colorado, but, but in that day, in that culture, dogs were considered despicable. They, no one wanted to be called a dog. No one wanted to be associated with a dog. Nobody wanted to look like a dog. And yet the men who were chosen scooped up the water with their hands and lapped it with their tongue from their hands like dogs. Why? Well, maybe so that they could keep an eye out for the enemy. Third, they were men of priority. They didn't spend unnecessary time doing unnecessary things. Oh, sure, they needed to drink, but they never lost sight of the possibility of an attack from the Midianites. It could happen at any time. So the man or the woman that God uses will not spend unnecessary time doing unnecessary things because they realize a spiritual battle is raging as never before. They realize that time is short and the calling is great. But let's explore the other possibility. It could be. It could be that these 300 guys, they were just broken down old guys. Maybe they simply could not kneel down to get to the water. Their knees were shot. Maybe they had Dunlop's disease. 
You know the kind where the belly dunlops over the belt? Maybe, maybe, maybe their knees were bad, their backs were out, maybe they were just too old to drink any other way. And maybe, just maybe, God was saying, I want to use these old, broken down, out of shape guys. These guys that the world would laugh at, would mock at, would never consider as mighty warriors. I want to use these guys to do my work. As an old guy with bad knees and a little bit of Dunlop's disease, I like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe these guys weren't all that brave after all, but, but, but they were available. And in God's eyes, the greatest ability is availability. Well, let's continue. Verse 16. The Bible says in verse 16, Judges 7, he divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too. And all around the entire camp, and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 19, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew their ram's horns, broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held their blazing torches in their left hands, their horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 21, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. I love it. I love it. Are you with me? Can you picture it? With the mountains here, you can picture the mountains here in the valley. We're in a valley, the Roaring Fork Valley. Here they are. It's in the middle of the night. 135,000 Midianite warriors. Can you picture them all in the tents in the Roaring Fork Valley? They're snoring away in their tents, tents pick, pitched by the, by the river. And, 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 and then up in the hills, around the valley, above the valley, Gideon. And it's just 300 old guys with Dunlop's disease and with broken knees and backs. And they're slowly encircling the camp down below. And then Gideon gives each, each of his 300 men a trumpet and a clay pot. Everyone. Inside the clay pot was a torch, but the torch was smoldering inside because it had already consumed almost all of the air in the clay pot. Then he ordered them to quietly surround the Midianite camp. And then, on his signal, the men would shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and they would smash their clay pots, causing the oxygen now to swoop inside that pot, which was once full, preventing oxygen from coming in, and now it, the, the torch 
lit up in a blaze of glory and, and hearing the crashing of the clay pots and the battle cries of the soldiers and the blaring of the ram's horns, the Midianites came stumbling out of their tents, wiping the sleep from their eyes, and they saw torches all around, lighting up the night sky all around them. And they thought, uh-oh. Now you Bible scholars... You students of the word, you know that it was normal military practice of that day for a company of a company. That's 1,000 soldiers, a company of 1,000 soldiers to be led by one single torch. So the Midianites, they look at, they see 300 torches and they all assume that they were surrounded by 300,000 warriors, not 300 old, out of shape men. And in their panic and in their confusion, the Midianites began to attack each other. And the Bible says they ran for their lives all the way to the border. And what's best, the 300 old guys. They didn't even have to lift up their swords at all. I love it. I love it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. The Bible says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow... Go out against them, for the Lord is with you. We don't have to fight at all. Like Gideon's men, all we need to do is just stand still and let him do the fighting for the battle is not ours. It's his, says the Lord God of hosts. Well, the pressure's off. All we have to do is simply be available. God delights and using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And here's a camp, an example. Now, you already know, you Bible students, that Jesus is the light. But sometimes, don't you find it true that his light is all bottled up inside of us? All bottled up. The, the, the Lord wants to release the light of Jesus which he has placed in us, orchard. He wants his light to shine out from us so others can see him through us. Now, David, that's all well and good, but, but how does this happen? Well, it happens by breaking. By breaking. That's why the Bible says we're like Clay pots. The Bible calls us clay pots in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because when we're broken, the oxygen of God's love pours into us and ignites the smoldering embers inside of us, even if it's just a smoking flax. It bursts into flame, and the light that shines through us will cause Satan to flee from us. The light that is in the clay pot, but, but, but it can't shine from the clay pot until there's a breaking of the clay pot. 
In other words, we'll be a blessing to others when we go through a breaking ourselves. Why? Well, because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken culture. We live in a broken society. Many people are experiencing brokenness in relationships, in dreams. And those who have experienced brokenness can relate to those who are going through brokenness. Job knew this. Do you remember Job? Do you remember the story of Job? Job went through more breaking than any of us could possibly imagine. The Bible says that he had it all and he lost it all. Everything. His wife, his children, his dreams. But it was Job's breaking that silenced Satan. Satan told God, oh, sure, Sure, Job loves you. Sure, he serves you. Sure, he worships you. Look how much you've blessed him. Look what you've given him. No wonder he walks with you. But, but Satan told God, the Bible tells us, if those things were taken away, he would curse you and he would walk away from you. Job chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Well, that happened. Everything was taken away from Job. And how did he respond? Well, the Bible says in Job 23, verse 8, Job said, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he's concealed. But he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, verse 10, I will come out as pure as gold. You ever been there? Can you relate to that? Have you ever cried, men? Have you ever cried, so much there are no more tears to cry? Have you ever been in that dark place where you could taste it like clay in your mouth? Job said, I don't know. I don't know where he's taking me. I don't know what he's doing. But, but I do know. I do know that he knows. He knows my name. He knows each tear that falls. And he hears me. He hears me when I call. Boom. With that, Satan's accusations went up in smoke. So not only does suffering silence Satan, but, but suffering prepares us for service. An iron bar, a $5 iron bar, it can be pounded into a couple of $10 horseshoes. 
or that same iron bar, it can be pounded further into $350 worth of needles. Or, or that same iron bar, it can be pounded even further to produce $250,000 worth of fine luxury watch springs. It all depends how much pounding is done. Maybe you feel that you've been pounded on, broken, even this past week. If so, if so, remember, God is in control. Remember, it's in the time of breaking that the light of the gospel shines forth. It's in the time of breaking that the trumpet of Jesus Christ is heard throughout the land. And it's then that the enemy is defeated. Do you remember Paul? I remember Paul, he was on his way to Rome. You remember the story. He was going to stand trial before Caesar. And, and he knew the, the route. He had been down that route before. And when he told the captain and the shipmates that they were headed for very dangerous waters, treacherous waters, he tried to warn them. But they, they ignored his warning. They sailed on. They said, we'll do it our way. Thank you. And they, they, they sailed right into a storm so fierce, the Bible says, that the ship was broken into many, many pieces. But, but everyone was saved. How? By clinging on to the broken pieces of that ship. Those were the first surfers in the history of the world, all coming on broken boards. They clung to the broken pieces of the boat. And it was the broken pieces that saved them. Storms will come and storms will go in your life, Orchard. No one is exempt from this. It's not a question of if, but when. And when they do, each of us has a choice to make. Either flail about in our own efforts or, or, or grab on to those broken pieces and say, I don't have much to offer. Lord, just a bunch of broken pieces in my life. That's all I have. But Lord, take control. Take control of those broken pieces and, and bring me safely to shore. If you do, if you do, the Bible says the Lord will take those broken pieces, those hurts, those heartaches of your life, and he will bring you not only safely to shore, but even better yet, he will use those broken pieces to bring others to safety as well. You'll pray. You'll pray and you'll relate to people in ways that you've never prayed and never related before in entirely different ways for you've been broken. This morning you might be a horseshoe, but he's shaping you into a needle. Uh, you might be a needle, but he's forming you into delicate, fine watch springs. Wherever you are, he's working on you this morning. He's working on me. Why? Why? 
so that the light of Jesus Christ will shine from us. So Orchard, don't give up. Don't give up during these difficult times. Don't question or fret about what God is doing. I don't know his ways, said Job, but, but, but he knows mine. And that's all that matters. Remember, you can never, ever be too broken or too old for God. You know, too many, th- too many people think that they must first clean up their act before they ask Jesus into their heart, but that's not true. How do I know the Bible tells me so? It's just the opposite, in fact. First, Jesus comes into our lives, and then He cleans our lives. So this morning, as we take the bread, which represents His body, and the cup that represents His blood, let's worship in communion, because this we do in remembrance of Him.